That was so good, right? <laughs> it really was. Can we give them one more hand for doing uh, that? I'll give you some, uh, a little backdrop. A few weeks ago, uh, the praise team and a few others, uh, I wanted to encourage them, so I said, you know, we're going to have a songwriting contest. They're very stressed for many months. But they finally did it. And a few weeks ago, I invited uh, Pastor Yang, our worship pastor, and another pastor um, who's very professional in music um, to come and judge. And Noah and Cameron, who are incoming or rising freshmen in college, so they just joined our EM, asked me over Facebook Messenger, wasn't it? Right? It was Facebook Messenger. He said, can we also participate and write a song. I was like, all right, sure, buddy, you can. And they wrote this amazing song. This is um, something that they wrote on their own. This is uh, something that they composed. And I was so impressed with all the four teams that participated. I asked them all to kind of share it with our congregation and to really bless us. So that worship song is from their hearts. It's, It's their own voice. It's what they wanted to lift up to the Lord. And what, a, what you see is a culmination of many, many hours spent practicing and pouring over not just music, but the lyrics and how it comes together. And this is what we hear in worship. And I, and I was talking to the outside pastor that I invited, and he was just telling me he was so impressed with all the teams, like every single one of them, that he wouldn't be surprised if he heard these guys on the radio or just we would be able to sing it and worship and he would be singing it too in his church. I think we have a lot of talent here and um, I want to do it uh, at least annually. So if you feel like you have a good song, get ready to get crushed by critics. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm only here to encourage. But... You know, it was so good. It was so good. Um, and, you know, we're, we're really here to really hone our skills and play with all that we have to honor God. And so what you heard today uh, was a song composed by Noah and Cameron, and they got second place in that uh, contest. Um, but I just got to say, I honestly think every single song was so spectacular. They had their own flavor I just can't wait for them to share it with this congregation, and I hope you're excited too. Uh, But it was such a worshipful song today, and um, I praise God that we were able to hear it and worship along with you. The Philippines team is back. Can we welcome them back after one and a half weeks? I heard it was amazing. I heard everybody got sick except two people. Pastor Esther, she didn't get sick, and she was very proud of that, and she's hyped and excited to serve. I'm so happy that they came back, and they have so much to share with us. And so next week, we're going to have a testimony given by the Philippines team. We're going to see that God really is moving all around the world. And then when we participate and we share in his heart and his, the convictions that he gives us, we also share in his joy in the joy of the harvest that he has for his people. And so I can't wait to hear next week. And not only the Philippines team, but we had someone that went out for short-term missions 
for, was it four, six weeks? Something like that. <laughs> But Kat Ahn is back from Japan, and she's going to give us、um, a little debrief of what she did while she was in Japan, helping out the missionary that we're in contact with, with Andy Game, and the projects that he has for the future, and how his vision isn't just for Japan. And Tokyo, Osaka,、uh, Fukuoka, but even all across Southeast Asia, how God is moving and God is opening doors. But can we welcome back Kat on too? Welcome. And so we have all these things going on in our church, and I hope that we can all participate, not, not only by sharing and listening, but participate by praying and being part of the team that sends. And blesses. We have a college mission trip that's leaving today, going to Florida to build houses with Habitat for Humanity. And there are some people that went to our first Habitat in Florida many, many years ago. And now they're like parents. <laughs> that's, how, that's how long ago it was.、Um, but we're going back again to build houses. So I'm very excited for that. And summer is coming to a close. So we have our college send off banquet. If you don't know the details, it's in your bulletin, but I highly encourage every one of you to come and to enjoy a nice meal. It is subsidized for college students to $20. And if you're not a college student, it's subsidized to $40. So it's still subsidized. I, I gotta say, it's, you're not paying full price. We are still subsidizing a few dollars off of that full price. But not only do you have dinner, you have entertainment, we have games, but we really get to encourage our college students going back. And I can't help but to really feel for our young people today, our college campuses, they are the mission field. They are, it's a place where you go to, and if you recently graduated, you know. That when you go back to college, it's a different atmosphere, it's a different culture. It's where people think it's okay to sin because you're in college. And what happens is the enemy confuses and he dilutes the truth, but in the end, he deceives us into thinking the four years that we spend in college don't matter, they don't form us in any way. But that's absolutely false. And so, what we've been trying to do throughout the summer is to encourage our college group members to go back and be ambassadors and light in their campuses, in their ministries there. But we also want to support them, so please do come. We have a theme、uh, this year it's 1940s murder mystery. A lot of college students had no idea what that was, so we said, look at the game of Clue. And they have no idea what the game of Clue is. <laughs> and I said, you can look it up online. But even if you don't have the theme,、um, you can wear anything. Basically, you can play anybody. And then we're going to have some games surrounding that theme. I, I think it's going to be very exciting. And I really enjoy the food、uh, in that place. It's,、uh, it's really good.、Uh, so please do come, and I hope that we can just have a great time together. If you want to know more about what, what our church is doing, come early. Come 12 o'clock when our, when our service starts, and we give announcements for the first five minutes, and we share all the things God is doing in our church. And 
you know, God is doing so much and he's blessed us so much. It's only right that we respond and we reciprocate what we've been given to bless others. And this is the call for our church. We've been given so much, we have to give back. And otherwise, we'll just explode uh, because we've been given so much. And God is that kind of good God to us. We're continuing on with the series in Genesis. And today is part one of the flood. Next week, we're going to take a little break and Pastor Esther is going to give the message, but the week after next week, we're going to finish part two of the flood. But part one of the flood, I want to name the covenant, and I want to give you these three points that I'll be talking about. It's the human condition, the judgment, and the last word. The human condition, the judgment, and the last word. And before we get into this passage, there's always some kind of a prologue. And in this prologue, we see that the first time righteousness, the first time blameless is used, it's here. Righteousness and blameless. And once again, I want to remind you that righteousness, which is what we think of as piety and ethics, don't come from what we do. Righteousness, what we think of as piety and ethics, do not come from what we do. It is who we are. What we do flows out from who we are. You know, some people just can't take anything seriously because of arrogance. I don't know, because they're too good. Um, there, are, there are people like that. If you hold a seminar or a class, there's always a jokester. There's always someone fooling around on the side. They're too good. But honestly, what I want to say is, it's not because you are too good. It's because of who you are. What flows out of you is because of who you are. And the same way, piety and ethics, you're not pious. You're not ethical because of the political stance you take, because of what you do. It's because of who you are. Blameless, literally, in the Hebrew Bible, means whole and complete. And these two are put together, righteousness and blameless. Righteous and blameless. Whole and complete and who you are. These two words paired suggests that Noah was the same like Enoch, and he walked with God. He had a relationship with God. And that's how we start off in the passage. Noah had a relationship with God. That's what separated him from everybody else. When we get into verse 11, this is where some translations differ. And some transla- only one translation says all people uh, in verse 12, actually. In verse 12, it says all people. Only the NIV states all people, but the literal word in Hebrew is flesh, so all flesh. And what that really means is all living things. So other translations have all flesh, which is pretty close, but what it really means is that all of 
the living things in the world was corrupt. In verse 11, verse 12, all of flesh, all of the earth was corrupt and filled with violence. You know what we do affects us, but not only us, but everything around us. We have to start realizing that. You don't just live for yourself. You know, you could be there with just, you know what, I just want to do my thing. I want to do what I have to do and then mind my own business. But the world doesn't work that way. It doesn't. What you post on Facebook affects a lot of people. It does. What you do and what you don't do affects people. And here we we see that because people have separated themselves from God, we see what is happening here. This is the human condition. All of flesh was corrupt and filled with violence. This just doesn't mean human relationships, but it does. When we have a relationship with one another, there is some kind of barrier sometimes. And the barrier can be extreme or it could be slight, but there is a barrier. And in extreme cases, we see murder happen. We see hate crimes happen. And this is the reality that we are living in now. That we are living in the many times what we see are extreme cases. But it's not just people to people. But it's also people to other living things. There are fun experiments that people do. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. But you can look it up on YouTube, I suppose. But you take a plant and another plant of the exact same kind. And one will play like nice music that's soothing and calming. Another one will play like very rough music that's really that makes your heart like palpitate when you listen to it and the plants grew differently and then other experiments where one plant somebody would just say nice things to it another plant they would just curse it out you might think it's funny but they would just do these experiments and the plants grew differently one would flourish and one would die What we do affects all living things around us. There's one story I'll never forget when I think about this. How we act affects other things. You know, that's why pet owners are responsible for their pets. Because what you do with your pet affects the pet. And your pet will react to that. And one story I'll never forget is when uh, in the early 2000s I saw this on Oprah, and this woman came out, and uh, she had no face. Uh, she actually had no hands, and she started telling the backstory. Um, <clears throat> she had a, she had a friend, a coworker, and this Sandra Harold. Um, she she had a very tragic life. Um, she had lost their only child uh, in a car accident. And then her husband died of cancer. And she was, she was alone. But before that, this family was a picture-perfect family. They had a pet, a pet chimpanzee whom they named Travis. And this pet, would everybody in the town would know the pet. They would take pictures. The chimp was so smart that he could open doors and do things and 
help around the, the junkyard or wherever uh, the husband was working. And then once this tragedy happened, uh, Sandra really became um, vulnerable. It was very sad. It was very difficult. But what she did was she, um, she, she projected all of those feelings and that hurt and depression onto the only thing she had left, and that was her chimpanzee. And then this is what she said. Uh, Sandra Harold slept and bathed with Travis, and this is what she said. She said, I'm like hollow now, and he slept with me every night. Until you've eaten with a chimp and bathed with a chimp, you don't know a chimp. And then when I heard that, I immediately thought there's something weird. There's something a little off. Um, there's something that you've gone too far in. And uh, Charla Nash, who was a friend, stopped by and they wanted to, um, you know, kind of encourage the chimp to come back inside, which is like a normal thing to do. And she picked up a toy to play. And the chimp just lost it, lost it, attacked Charla, charged at Charla, and then just started ripping off her face, uh, her hands, any extremity that he could get a hold of. Chimps are two or three times stronger than a man. So you can see, and then when I saw that interview, it was Charla giving the interview. She was blind because he ripped off all her eyes, and she had brain damage because chimp went all the way to to her brain but she barely survived and she had one hole in her face and that was how she ate through a straw and it was the saddest thing I've ever seen Um, and then it was the first time she came out in public and some of you may may know this uh, because it was a very famous interview that Oprah did but we see that the very extreme depraved state that living things can go to is very extreme. It's very depraved. It's not just something that you can actually laugh at and make a joke with. It's not something that we can just pass by and forget. Those images can stay with you forever. And some of us have seen extreme human conditions And we see that the world is capable of both extremes. But when we see here, God is the God who says, I, he's the one that he saw the earth. That means he investigated. God looked at the earth and it was filled with this kind of extreme depravity, with this kind of violence. Without a relationship with God, we see in the Bible that the earth and all of life continues to become more and more corrupt because what we do is we have to place a hope in something and if it's not God, it's not perfect. When we place our hope in something that is not perfect, what happens? Mistakes happen. Sin happens. Evil sneaks in. And it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. God looked and he saw that the earth was corrupt and filled with violence. But I think we can relate to that. Our condition, even currently today, as we leave further and further away from the truth, saying Jesus may not be the only way. God may or may not exist. And the 
the morale, morality, the ethics, and all the laws that we start creating, they're a little bit off and a little bit more off. And we start seeing that people who reject God go a little bit more off, step by step by step, and it doesn't get better. It doesn't get better no matter how much you shame, no matter how much you want to think, bring things back. And again, God reminds us, even in the beginning, the only way, the only way to have a righteous, the only way to have a whole, a blameless life is to walk with God. So he is reminding us here in this narrative that without God, we are stuck with this depraved and extreme human condition. And that is why judgment comes. <clears throat> I want to give an example here. Um, so I just need to uh, pick two volunteers. Is that, is that okay if I just pick two volunteers? If you're looking at me, that means you're okay. And immediately when I said two volunteers, people would just go, <laughs> that means I will definitely pick you. Um, so... I would like to ask Pastor Sam to be one. So Pastor Sam, you can come over here. And Junsuk to be come over here. And we're just going to do a very simple exercise. It'll just be like 30 seconds. Let's say your, your, your mass, your mass here, your mass, right? Okay. And these two masses, they're very massive, right? That's why I picked them. These two masses are going to come at each other. Just walk slowly to each other. Walk slowly. And keep on walking, keep on walking. There you go. And that is what we call <clears throat> Newton's third law. It is. Every action is met with an equal and opposite reaction. What happened when these two forces met? Let's do it one more time just so that we can show for clarity. All right, all right, all right. All right, so, uh, Chun I want Chun to stay here and you can, you can go down, <clears throat> uh, Pastor Sam. And uh, maybe I'll pick someone else, um, uh, maybe someone who's lighter, like Joe. Joe, can you come up over here? Okay. Okay, these are not two similar masses. Um, one is like a thousand pounds more, but okay. But let's, let's have these two masses come together, and, and then, okay, okay. So he didn't even have to try. All right, thank you. Let's give them a hand. Let's give Pastor Sam a hand. <clears throat> what surprises me is that people are shocked when we talk about judgment, when we talk about punishment. Like, how can a loving God give punishment? How can a loving God put people in hell? But I wanted to start off with that example to show violence is met with violence. For every action, this is physics, every, even in the physical world, we are given this truth and this wisdom. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. But if masses differ, then the one force can crush the other one. <clears throat> the Hebrew word here, sahat, is the same word used for corrupt and for destroy. It's the same word. Corrupt and destroy is the same word in the Bible. We always think it's different. Because people did bad, we have this God figure who's like an old man with a beard. 
right? And he's stroking his beard. He's very nonchalant. He's like, oh, these guys, they're so, oh, they're so annoying. I'll just wiggle my finger and they're going to die. We have this weird picture that this is the case. But it's not the case. When you continue to read the Bible, it is not the case. And you see how God built this world upon his wisdom. And we see the wisdom at work here. Because of gravity, because of masses taking place together, we have all of creation. We have beauty that we see. But once we corrupt this beauty, we have destruction. Corruption, destruction, they are the same things. If God is a God of love, and God is a God of justice, and we become a force of evil, injustice, hate, then you go directly against God. Which mass do you think will win out? Why are we surprised when there is punishment for evil? In fact, what I would think is weirder would be if there is no punishment then that's not reality. You're not living in reality when we see something evil go unpunished. The world was so filled with corruption and violence that you see that corruption, violence, which we call sin, is what the psalmist said. Only against you have I sinned. When we fill the world with corruption and violence, what we are doing is we are setting ourselves up against God because God created the universe. He's the one that made it the way it was. And we go up against God. <clears throat> and this, we come to this truth. You may be free to make choices in your life but you are not free from the consequences that come from those choices. You can cry out YOLO all you want, but you are not free from the consequences that come from YOLOing. You know, you're not. You're just not. You know, in many ways, a lot of people think Noah's flood is a children's story. And in many ways, it is. It's simple. It's easy to understand. I could give this lesson to children, and they would understand Newton's third law. And to show the severity of sin. But what we don't see a lot of times, because we think it's only a children's sermon, is that the severity of sin is absolutely absolutely horrifying it's horrifying we think Noah's flood maybe just some water that came up and people just drowned perhaps peacefully like that old couple in the Titanic but there is a painting that someone drew and upon this rock we have a tiger holding her cub some children and then a parent trying to save their toddler, trying to bring the toddler to the rock, and there's obviously not enough space. It is tragic. It is terrible. It is horrifying. But that's what violence is. When we see violence, the reason why we get so upset 
It be, it's because this is not right. We feel it deep in our bones. It doesn't even matter if you're a Christian or you're not, if you believe in God, if you don't. There is something that we all have been given and this Imago Dei, this image of God, shows us in our heart. It shakes us saying, this, there's something wrong about this. There's something wrong. But you see, we've come to a world where more and more, the more and more corrupt you become, and we see different extremities, different degrees of this, we care less and less. It becomes less and less horrifying. It becomes normal. And we are less horrified by the violence in this world. What's the big deal? What's the big deal, some people might say, if we just do this little thing? The big deal is that every time we set ourselves up against God, there is a massive force against us. It doesn't matter if it's big or little. Every sin is horrifyingly destructive. And this is what happens. There's judgment. In the end, we know this judgment now to be hell. And some people might not want to talk about it too much, but this is what C.S. Lewis believes. This is what a lot of our scholars believe. No one actually honestly really says, wow, I'm having so much fun. I'm having so much fun. Why does God just pluck me out and put me in hell? That's so bad. Why are you such a killjoy God? But if we continue to look at the Bible, people that place themselves in hell are exactly that. They place themselves in hell. No one in hell actually wants to go out. What they are doing, when they set themselves up against God, they're saying, I don't want you. I don't want your creation. I don't want anything to do with you. So they rather suffer in hell and burn for eternity than be with God. And you wonder how this could be possible. C.S. Lewis writes this, I willingly believe that the damned are in one sense successful, rebels to the end, that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. To those who knock, it is open. And yourself in a dark hour may will, a grumbling will, embrace it. You can repent and come out of it again. But there may be a day when you can't do that any longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood. What he is saying here is that our life now, just like Noah had 120 years, what we heard last week, for people to repent, to come back. Our life now is the 120 years we get. It's our chance to repent and align ourselves not against God, but with God. Not against God, but with God. So hell is the consequence of repeatedly rejecting God. The consequence of rejecting God repeatedly is hell. That is judgment. When we continue to go against God, God finally meets us 
with that same force. But what it also shows us is that our choices are eternal. What we do has an everlasting impact. And this is why God doesn't end it with that. This is why he has the last word. This is the first time in the Bible where the word covenant is used. And in verse 18, he says, I am the covenant. It's my covenant. God is the author. And God has a plan to save you. And not just you. God is a pl- has a plan to save you, and if you read the Bible, and your family. And we see that the family points to the church. God has a plan for our family and the church. We are the object, ready to crash into God. And God replaces us with Jesus. And then you may think, wait, isn't Jesus God? Isn't Jesus a God? How can two immovable objects or immutable objects hit each other? But we not only believe Jesus is fully God, we believe Jesus is fully man. He's fully human. And in his humanity, he bore the weight of our sins. Everything that was against God, he took upon himself. And that's why he was crushed. That's why he was crucified. And what happened was we switched places. Jesus was with God. And we were against God, but we switched places. And we, through Jesus, can be with God now. See, God has the last word. And when he says, I will give you my covenant, it's a promise saying that he is going to save you. That's why you're here, to listen to the covenant being promised to you. And not just you, but your family. He has a good plan for your family. And that's why I want to end with this. It doesn't mean we sit on our butts. A lot of times people might think, oh yeah, I'm good. I came to church, I'm good. Noah, knowing this, did he stay still? No, he worked and he worked and he worked. For 100 plus years, he built that ark. And he worked hard. If you know that you are saved, God has a plan for you. And it's to work. It's to do what you've been given well. Martin Luther wrote that the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty, not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes, because God is interested in good craftsmanship. See, God gives us work because work is good, and he wants us to enjoy it. And as we enjoy the work and we become good at it, We get to enjoy being with God and developing and growing and maturing with creation. This is the salvation story. It's not just one time, boom, you're good. And then then what? No, it's he's giving you a purpose. And the purpose, you work hard. So yes, God loves the minutia of your life. 
That's why no matter what you have, you can lift it up to God. Whatever detail that you have, he will listen to. If you're a teacher and a student is out of line, you don't know what to do with this one student, yes, he will listen to your prayer. Yes, when you go to work, there is something that always bugs you. Yes, he will listen to that prayer. Look at the minutia and the detail he's concerned with, even with the ark. He gives it down to the last foot, saying this is how you should build the ark. He is a God of the details. He has a plan for you, and he cares about you. In Matthew 10, 29, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? He cares about every single hair on your head, and he counts them. He loves you that much. This is the kind of plan that he has for you. That is why he has the last word. Even though we may be racing at him at the speed of light against the force of good, he is the one that will substitute our evil and sin and put it on Jesus Christ so that we can be with him. Our God is the God who is good, generous, kind, loving, merciful, and he cares about you. What was inevitable, what was almost impossible to change, he made possible through Jesus Christ. That is why when we receive him, when we receive Christ in our lives, our places are switched from death to life. This is the Christian gospel message. It's not what you do that changes you. It's who you are. And God has changed you from someone that is dead to someone that is alive. And that's why now that we are alive, I want us to work hard. I want us to give everything that we have. Build his kingdom. Do well in your workplace. Build this church. Serve others. And this is how we live out salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. And we do ask that you would be with us. As we give our lives to you, as we work out our salvation, Lord, won't you be with us, our ultimate author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite the college um, mission team out, and we're just going to pray for them as they go out to do missions. Uh, can, we, can you all come out? And then Kenny's going to explain real quick uh, what they'll be doing exactly. So as they come out, um, Kenny, could you just share with us what you'll be doing? Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Kenny Kang. Uh, I'm a member of this beautiful team going down to Fort Myers, Florida tomorrow. Uh, and I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you uh, for everyone that's been praying for us. And my hope is that um, you won't stop, that you'll pray for us while we're down there. Uh, we're partnering with uh, Habitat for Humanity in Fort Myers, Florida, in Lee County. And Habitat for Humanity visions a world where everyone has a decent place to live. And seeking to put God's love into action, Habitat seeks to bring people together to build homes, communities, and hope. And as we go down to Florida to build homes, we have a few prayer requests. And the first one, um, it says in Psalms 127, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. 
And this is our prayer that every nail that we hammer, every wall that we put up, and everything that we do uh, would be in the Lord. We don't want to labor in vain. And the second is for grace and love to cover our team and for patience. Uh, our team composition is amazing. Uh, we have four different brother, sister, sister, sister <laughs> pairs going. Uh, we pray for grace and patience. <laughs> and finally, we, uh, we want to be faithful to his calling and uh, that his work would be done through us in Florida. So thank you for partnering us. Thank you for praying over us. Um, and we'll be back in a week. I want to invite you to come out and lay your hands on them as we pray. We want to send them out in faith. So why don't we come out and just send them off with a prayer. Um, and like we did last time with the Philippines team, you can place your hands on the ones that you like most. Um, and even if you're sitting, um, I just want you to pray in faith, extend your hands, but most, most importantly, extend your prayers. God listens to them. And uh, we'll just send them off with our prayers. Let's really pray that their prayer requests um, God will listen to, that God is the one that will build the house, that as we build a house for the homeless, um, God is the one that will reside in the house and will bless that house, whatever house they build. So let's pray at this time. we thank you for this team that you have put together and just as Kenny said this is an amazing team because you put it together we know that you have a great plan for them as you send them out and it's not simply to build a house as good as that is Lord God we want to be able to share the love of Christ that you've placed in our lives that you've placed in our hearts with every action with every word and deed I pray that we would be able, this team would be able to share that immense and incredible love 
of Jesus Christ with everyone that they meet, everyone that they interact with. Lord, forge this team and unite them in the Holy Spirit with the love that they have for one another. May the whole community that they serve see that they love you, that they worship you, that they hold you as king. I pray that you would grant them traveling mercies and so that they are able to do the work that you set them out to do until they come back to us so that we can rejoice in the work that is completed. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.